Good morning, church. Would you please join me in reading aloud Psalm 139, verses 1 to 14? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Amen. Good morning. Please stand as we worship together. Yeah, the one, 
please take a moment, greet those around you. Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How are we all doing this morning? Woo! Awesome, awesome. Good, good. Well, it is wonderful to see you all. Hope you are having a fantastic Sunday. Uh, first things first, I want to direct your attention to the bulletin. If you open up on the inside front cover of said bulletin, you will notice a little place where you can give us some information. We here at La Jolla Community Church are a community of believers who believe in the power of prayer, who believe in coming together to celebrate the great things that God is doing in our lives and also to pray for the things that may be a little bit difficult in our lives. So if you're new here, if you've been here 14 years, if this is your first Sunday, whatever, it doesn't matter, please fill out this card. We want to get to know you. We want to get to know what's going on in your lives, and we want to partner with you. So please fill that out, and the wonderful thing about it is it'll rip right off, and in a couple of minutes, when the ushers come by to collect the offering, just go ahead and drop that right inside the offering basket. We have a team of dedicated prayer warriors that are going to be praying for you, for your family, and we would just love to support you in this time. A uh, couple of other things I wanted to do. I probably should introduce myself. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I'm the student ministries director here at La Jolla Community Church. And we've got a lot of really cool things going on here at church. Uh, quick raise hand. How many of you in here wish that you read your Bible more than you currently do? I do, personally, definitely do. Well, everybody that raised their hand, good thing for you because we have life groups that are starting here at La Jolla Community Church. So life groups are a fantastic opportunity where you can get together with other believers who are walking the same phase of life as you. Um, they, they meet throughout the week. We've got lots and lots of life groups. One life group I would like to highlight is Wednesday evenings. We have a brand new life group starting up here in the Welcome Center at 6.30 p.m., led by Mike Hedman. If you would like to know more about that life group, if you would like to be a part of that life group, please email Mike at Mike at ljcc.org. And if Wednesdays don't work for you, that's okay. We've got lots of others happening all around San Diego. But go on our website at www.ljcc.org, and you can find a life group for yourself or your family. Uh, another little piece of information I want to give you guys. Save the date for November 9th. Ladies in here, let me hear the ladies. Ooh, wow, that was, come on, ladies. You got more energy than that. Ladies, let me hear the ladies. There it is, there it is, there it is. So on November 9th, we've got a stories event for women. If you've never attended the stories event and you are a woman in our, or, sorry, you are a woman. Wow, English, please and you are one of the amazing women that attend this church, you are not going to want to miss these, this event. This is a fantastic event where different women from our congregation are going to come forward and just share how God is working in their lives. I don't know about you guys, but I've gone through lots of seasons of my life where I question God. I wonder, God, why are you not speaking? God, why can't I hear you? God, why didn't I get that pay raise that I've been begging for? for I'm kidding. Uh, no, so there are lots of seasons in our lives when things get difficult, but these experiences, these events are perfect times where we can surround ourselves with people who are, are just on fire, and we can remember that time or that place in our life where we're like, wait, God is real. 
God is doing something. Just because I don't hear him doesn't mean he's not real. So if you are one of the women in our congregation or you know someone who would love to go to this, uh, all women ages 18 and up are more than welcome to attend. Remember, uh, November 9th stories event uh, for the ladies. And last but not least, as the youth director here, uh, I get to be in charge of all of our little youngsters here. And one really cool thing that I want to share with you guys that is going on, starting next week, we are going to be separating junior high and high school on Sunday mornings. So during the week, they're already separate. But Sunday mornings, you've noticed our little, woo, hey guys. Uh, we all head up to the Cove right now, and so today we're going to head up to the Cove. But starting next week, we'll be separating, so the junior hires will be going to the surf shack, and the high schoolers will be going up to the Cove. And we have special curriculum designed specifically for each of them uh, going forward. If you would like to be a part of that, if you would like to join our team and work with either the junior hires or the high schoolers as we lead Bible studies and discussion group, please feel free to email me. My email is ryan at ljcc.org, or feel free to find me after the service. Uh, thank you again for joining us, and uh, I will pass it off to Bridget. Please join us in prayer. Can we all bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Good morning, generous Father. We are so thankful for another Sunday together in your name. We ask that you would please fall on this place by your Holy Spirit and anoint our spirits to be still and listen. Father, we come before you as your children and citizens of heaven with bold requests that you would pour out your plans for us in the coming week. Please help us to reach the lost, to feed the hungry, to minister to the sick with joyful hearts that represent you. We thank you for the gift of our sweet church where we are free to gather in your name. We praise you for our pastor and his wisdom and love for our congregation. I pray for a special blessing upon Pastor Steve and Janet as they continue to serve the flock at LJCC. We ask that they would know your hand upon their marriage, health, and decision-making. We thank you for our country and for its foundation in you. We pray that there would be unity and harmony in decisions made by those in government. Thank you for our military, law enforcement, and all those who protect and serve. Please help us to honor and love them in return for their sacrifices. We pray for you for creating pure hearts in us this day. For your glory and joy, in the name of our great King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bridget. Do you know who you are? I'm going to tell you right now. You are, you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's workmanship. Let that sink in. I'm talking to you. I know you. I know who you are. I'm telling you straight from God. I'll put that in context. But God tells us, I'm telling you. You are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's workmanship. Now, I know that many of you would like to raise your hand and stand up and give rebuttal to that. I say, have you seen me lately? I'm not really a, 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 uh, an example of, somebody close that door. Thanks. <clears throat> we have all this air conditioning coming out, and we got some hot air coming out. I'm trying to get more of the cold air <clears throat> than the hot air. Thank you. Thanks, Jake. So, which brings us to the first point of the morning. If that's true, if you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God's workmanship, this is the first big idea of the morning. Life is a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. Uh, do you see your life that way? Do you see your life that way? It's a big, big 
big, big question because lots of people don't for good reasons. Uh, or does your life feel like an unre- unpredictable and unwieldy, unpredictable and unwieldy burden of continuous big threats and big stresses? Uh, it would be easy to feel your life, experience your life as threats and stresses. This last Wednesday, we didn't really celebrate, but we bore witness to uh, 9-11, 18th, 18th anniversary of 9-11. Is that shocking? Do you remember where you were <clears throat> when, when 9-11 happened? I remember walking on the beach right in front of the Hawaii Beach and Tennis Club with David Rule. Um, when a guy walks up to us and says, do you guys know what's going on? It's about 7 a.m. You guys know what's going on? I said, no, what? And he told us the news. It was, it was stunning. We had no category for it. Who did? Uh, talk about big threats. And have those threats abated? No, not really. In some form, uh, it, there's big threats surrounding us at all times. It can be a bit overwhelming. Uh, some of you sitting here today, and I won't point you out, uh, are in charge of finding those bad guys uh, who are making those big threats possible. Uh, is that how you experience your life? Uh, this week, a young pastor took his life. A young pastor at a mega church out in Riverside, a very sharp young guy, about 30. 31, uh, left behind a very loving wife and two small boys. Uh, He loved them dearly. He's been struggling for a very long time with deep, deep, dark depression. He'd actually created a ministry, an anti-suicide ministry, uh, doing a great job with that. Uh, But the the, the crushing weight of that depression uh, apparently drove him to take his life and to go home too early. Uh, he went home too early. Uh, we recognize that. We lament that. We regret that. But we don't, we don't judge the fact that sometimes people just feel like these stresses are too big. I'm going to go home early. Uh, we grieve for them with hope. We don't judge them. Can you relate to this at all? Big threats and big stresses. Even if you have a really great life, you'd say, yeah, but I'm just one event away from. As long as my kids keep doing this and not that. As long as this holds together, as long as this turns out the way I think it should and could, I think we're going to be okay. And the older we get, you think, you know, when you're, in your, <clears throat> you're, when you're a kid uh, and then into junior high and high school, you think, once I get old, like, like 35, 40, <clears throat> I mean, life is going to come together and I'll be beyond all the problems and all the challenges. And then all of a sudden it dawns on you, my gosh, I'm 40 and it's getting worse. Why does it get worse when you're 50 and 60? It's because you know more. You know too much. You know too much. There's too much exposure. You've lived long enough. You know a lot. Uh, you see a lot. You might actually even read the newspaper uh, or, or watch the news, and you realize, my gosh, the threats and the stresses are immense, and they're not diminishing, and they're cascading, and, and the older people get, the more concerned they are about their health and about their well-being, and will I outlive whatever? Uh, so rescue me, O Lord, David says, In Psalm 40, rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. The arrogant have hidden a snare for me. They have spread uh, out the cords of their net and have set traps for me along my path. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, Lord, my cry for mercy. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer, you shield my head in the day of battle. 
Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. Faith changes the way we see our life, and faith changes the way we live our life, but not perhaps in the way you might think. Let me, let me reframe it for you. Faith is not a guarantee against threat or stress. Sometimes, good intention people say, now that I've got faith, or if I have enough faith, I'll be insulated and protected from threat and stress. Faith does not guarantee that our life is going to be free of threats and stress. Faith is our pathway through threats and stress. This is where God meets us. God's right in the midst of it with us. So God's grace is sufficient in the face of external threats and internal stress. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, a rabbi, now a follower of Jesus, writing to people in Corinth, God used him not only to speak to his fellow Jews in very powerful ways, but sent him out to speak to non-Jews, Gentiles, all over the Roman Empire. He had an, an incredibly wonderful impact. Churches springing up all over the place. We know the names, Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, etc. cetera. Uh, he raised up all the early, pretty much all the early leaders in, 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 the, in the early church, and, and he was one of the most brilliant people of all time. And yet, uh, at some point, we, we, we see that his, his ministry is, is powerful and, and uh, diverse and universal and, and international as it was, was inviting people to say, hey, you're not that great. One of the things that happens when you raise up leaders, when you empower people and equip people, is they act like they're equipped and they're empowered, which is good. In Paul's case, though, you had people who were saying, hey, I want that, I want that recognition. I want that renown. And so part of the way they were going about it was to criticize him. And it was wearing him out. And so people were saying, hey, you're not as good as this, and not like that, and this is better. And so finally he said, look, am I supposed to be boasting? Boasting for, about what I've done? Isn't it clear how God's raised me up and is using me to give you what you need to then do what he wants you to do? What, what are we talking about here? And so he was, he was very, very depressed. And so you see this in his second letter to the Corinthians, 9, 10, 11, 12, those chapters. You see this guy who is, is epic, being crushed under the weight of, of this depressing, um, continuous tirade of what was wrong with him. And finally, in this letter, uh, he says, okay, I'm going to boast, but here's how I'm going to boast. Here's all the things it's cost me to do what God's called me to do. And he said, if that's not enough, let me now boast in my weaknesses. Again, boast here is like air quotes, boast, right? And so he sums it up by saying this. Uh, I prayed, he prayed several times for God to remove the impediments to him being more effective. But he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Forget these naysayers. Forget your own internal doubts and even in this dark depression that's settling on you. That's Satan's work. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what the word sufficient means? It's more than enough. You know, in, in philosophy, there's, there's, there's necessary and sufficient. Maybe you're familiar with this. And it works in everything in life. There's certain things that are necessary for a business. But it's not sufficient unless somebody actually knows how to use them properly to run a business. You can, you can, you give me, you give me a hundred dollars worth of wood. I can go into the, my uh, workshop and I can come out with twenty-five dollars worth of furniture. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, you give me all the necessary stuff. My skill is not sufficient to actually add any value to it. So you give me the beautiful wood, and I'll come back with something I could put in the fire probably. So sufficient is what he, what, how God describes his grace. My grace is sufficient. That means it's more than enough. It's everything you need. And in a world filled with threat and stress, we say it can't possibly be enough. And furthermore, how could I be a unique, unrepeatable miracle of your workmanship? Look at me. Look at the condition I'm in. Look at the circumstances I'm experiencing. Look at the trail of tears behind me. Look at the, the trail of fears ahead of me. Are you kidding me? But, but here, Paul prays and prays and prays. And finally, God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Not to say uh, my power is made perfect in your irresponsibility, your lackadaisical approach to things, your incompetency, your mailing it in attitude. No, he's saying you do your best and your best will always fall short because you're a human being in a fallen world. But my grace is sufficient and my power even works in your weakness and beyond it. And so all these people who are giving you um, grief, forget them. Their motives are, are impure. Their motives are confused. Your motive just needs to be stand up and, and, and respond to my grace one day at a time. In the midst of your threats, distresses Paul, I will be with you and for you. He says, and so Paul says, therefore I will boast. His air quotes, I will boast. As if, as if being weak is a boast. But sure, I'll, I'll put my, my trust in God. I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses because that's where God meets me. God meets us in our weaknesses. Those are the threats and the stresses that we experience and make us feel like we're going to fall apart. We're going to come apart at the seams. We can't take another step. We can't bear the load. We can't bear the fact that our vision of what we thought we would do or thought we would be, perhaps, is not going to happen. And so when people fall into this extended, perpetual sense of grief and loss over the threats and stresses that define them and describe them, it's easy to say, forget it. But, 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 but Paul is hearing from God, don't forget it. Remember this, my power is made perfect even in your weakness. And so he says, why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Christ's power rests on you. Why? Because you are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of his workmanship. And life is a gift from him. All signs to the contrary. And don't confuse the gift that it is. If you have a lot of stuff, if you have a lot of things that would, people would say, oh yeah, you, you, it's, you got it all. Don't be head faked by that. That's not what he's talking about. The life that is a gift is the life he gives you saying, I love you unconditionally. I love you where you are. I love you no matter what you are. You can dress that up, you can dress it down, but the point remains. Life is a gift because I am in it. So here Paul uses the word boast, like I said, as a way of saying, you know, this is such an upside-down world when God enters it. Because the things that we would just throw away and say, that doesn't matter, it's not important. He says, no, 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 that's precious. Don't miss the value here. You know the price of everything and the value of nothing until you know God. And so he's saying there's something bigger that, than the very real threats and stress that burdens us. And so uh, in Psalm 139, that Bridget read earlier, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
You know everything that scares me. You know everything that inspires me. You know everything that embarrasses me. Uh, you know everything that I put my confidence and hope in. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inner, innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. <clears throat> I love it when I'm in some kind of a quirky, like an antique store or, a, or a, a, some hardware stores, like old-time hardware stores are awesome. There's one in, down, down toward the airport in San Diego. All this really neat old, old hardware. Uh, it, it's like going into an old sporting goods place. It's like going into uh, an old um, um, uh, silver or, or home goods place in England, for example. And you see all these things, all these implements. You go, what is that? That's odd-looking. And everything is odd-looking until you know the purpose. And when somebody who knows what they're talking about says, yeah, this is really odd-looking, but let me show you why. Look at the perfect design. This is the functional purpose of this. You go, oh, oh. That's what David is talking about here. There's a functional purpose for you being who you are and where you are in spite of threats and stresses. And if you miss that, you miss seeing God's work in you and God's work through you. Because you will and I will settle for the superficial way that we all see the world around us. The superficial measure of, we, of what we think matters and counts in this world. And we'll look past so many things that we should be looking intently at. If you ever have a chance uh, when you're in London, if you get to London, <clears throat> the John Soames Museum. John Soames, S-O-A-M-E-S. John Soames was an architect. He was this brilliant, incredibly creative person. And he left this amazing, amazing house in the middle of London uh, to the city in perpetuity. And all he had to do was keep all this stuff in it. And he was the kind of person who either created things, designed things, built things, or acquired things that are so fascinating. And it's one of these places where you go in and, and you need somebody to walk with you through it because you won't know what you're looking at most of the time. And when you walk through life with somebody who's helping you see God's workmanship, you say, I had no idea. No way. Now, some of the things are obvious. Uh, you go to Yosemite, and you, you come in off uh, 49, and all of a sudden the valley opens up, and you go, oh, my God. And he says, yes, 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 it, it is my handwork. Yes, it's my, you know, oh, whoa. Uh, you go to Yellowstone. You go to all these beautiful places. But there's lots more nuanced and subtle things in this world that we miss because we're not seeing it through the eyes of faith because we fail to understand that life is a gift from God. David wrote both these psalms, Psalm 140 and Psalm 139. The one saying, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. As well as the psalm, it's a scary, scary world. So choose to see life as a gift of God's grace rather than a burden of brokenness. 
That isn't a burden of brokenness. Even when you are feeling the burden of brokenness, understand that his grace is sufficient. David saw his life as a gift from God in the hands of God when he wrote both these psalms. And when we see ourselves and others from this perspective, something changes for the good. Even if the circumstances don't change immediately, something in us changes for the good. And if we don't choose to see life this way, we will see ourselves as alone and burdened and bummed out. We'll become increasingly isolated and withdrawn. Even if we're still around people, we're going to pull back. We will isolate ourselves by staying aloof and superficial. We'll distrust people, we'll resent our life, we'll resent other people. We might put a happy face on it, but we're going through life as dead people walking because we've assumed that it's safer that way. Augustine had a, big, a best friend. He's a famous St. Augustine, Augustine. One of the greatest minds in the early church. One of the greatest uh, orators of his day before he came to know Christ. And as he grew in his knowledge and love of God, uh, he was a magnet for people, as a scholar, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a wise counselor. And he had a very, very dear friend. And before he had come to know Christ, he was a womanizing, just, he, he was like the, the original playboy of the, of the you know, uh, fourth century. And he, he was living a dissipated life, and his mother, who was a follower of Jesus, would pray for him, pray for him, pray for him. And one day he's out in a garden, and he hears like, it sounds like a kid's voice doing a sing-song, pick it up, pick it up, and read, pick it up, and read. It sounds like a song. He's looking around, and he can't find where the kid is, but he sees this open Bible. <clears throat> he's like, well, my, oh, my, probably my mom's been out here or something, you know. <clears throat> he picks up the Bible and starts reading it, and it's so compelling, he gets drawn, and he becomes a follower of Jesus opens his life to the Lord, opens his life to people, and then at some point, his best friend dies. And, and Augustus said, I will never love like that again because it's too risky. I will never make myself that vulnerable to the threats and stresses of being exposed to love like this. C.S. Lewis said, this is the only time I, I can ever think of when I would disagree with Augustine because this is the point. Of course, C.S. Lewis said this when his own wife, Joy, was dying of cancer. He married late in life, and, this, and joy was the love of his life. He wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. <clears throat> it's really about the joy of meeting Christ, but there's a double entendre there. And he said, you know what? We have to see that life is a continuous risk in the face of threat and stress. But this is the sweet spot. This place where God meets us. If we don't see life this way, we will, all of us, become overwhelmed and give up too soon. Fill our lives with material things accomplishments, people, whatever, or we'll choose to go home too early. This is our dilemma. And so the big point, the second point of the morning, if the first point is life is a gift from God because we're all unique, unrepeatable miracles of this workmanship, the second point is this. The antidote to threats and stress is living your life as a gift from God. Not just trying harder to make the best of it, but leaning into this sufficient grace that Paul found was even powerful in his weakness, in his despair. So living life as a gift means learning and choosing daily to love God and to love one another. It's something we have to learn. None of us are naturally good at it. Now, some people are naturally more loving than others, more caring. But if you look closely, it's probably that they came out of a family, for example, 
that was super supportive, and, and they came out of a very healthy, nurturing environment. But even then, you can meet some miserable people who had fantastic families. But some people are better at it than others. But all of us, when pressed, have to learn how to love. This is why God invented marriage. You fall in love, and it's euphoric. And all of a sudden, you realize, dear Lord, I have to learn how to love. Who, who, who knew it was so hard to love this person who was supposed to make me wildly happy the rest of my life? As we, as we learn to accept our life as a gift from God, learning to, to ch and choosing daily to learn how to love from him, we will stop demanding people or things or experiences meet all our needs. I'm, I'm not happy. It's your job to make me happy. You're not doing your job. That's a simple formula. I'm not happy. It's your job to make me happy. Obviously, you're not doing your job. This is the big movement. This big antidote from the Lord to us is that as we start to embrace life as a gift, we start to say, ah, I get to be responsible for how I experience my life. I get to make choices. I get to submit myself to him and learn from him how to actually love authentically. C.S. Lewis went on to say, you know, uh, I talk of love. I, I may as well be a, a scholar's parrot speaking Greek. It's all words that make, mean nothing to me. I have no idea how to love. And in and, and, and this beautiful poem he wrote called As the Ruin Falls, it's about how he had to come to this place of brokenness to say, I need to learn how to love from God himself because I'm all words. I'm all hat and no cattle, as he'd say in Texas. And so we need to defer to God to accept his help and the help of others, wise counselors, godly people. We need to risk loving and caring for others despite the threat and the stress because every one of us can have a reason at any age or stage, to say, I've seen enough, I've experienced enough pain, I will never make myself this vulnerable again. We're all brothers of Augustine, sisters of Augustine. That's all of us. And therefore, I'm going to live a guard-gated life and protect myself and will miss the gift that life is. So here's what we learn about this gift of life from God. His heart is for you. His hand will guide you. You are always in his grip. He will hold you fast. Your life is a gift of grace for which you can praise him. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you always. Yeah, but still, I'm, I'm pained by these threats and stresses. Of course you are. How can you not be? But this is true nonetheless. He understands our big problem, and that is that we're broken people in a world of broken relationships. That's, that might sound depressing to say it that way. It would be depressing if he wasn't in it. Why? Because relationships are messy, inconvenient, and complicated. They're also essential. Why? Because he created us for relationship. It's, it's core to our identity and being as human beings. Introvert or extrovert, we crave relationship with God and with other people. We talked about this last week, if you want to uh, check out last week's sermon. We discovered that community is complicated because it involves people, and that's the standing joke for everybody. This place would be great except for the people, right? Everybody's workplace, uh, is, is, that's the joke. But if we're honest, uh, all of us included, every one of us here, are the people that make community complicated. That's very personal, isn't it? It gets even more personal. When I look in the mirror, I see the most complicated person in my world. Because the way I look at it, I can see Janet reflected in, I, no. No, because I see me. 
when I look in the mirror, I see the most complicated person in my world. And so do you. When you look in the mirror, you see the most complicated person in your world. Despite your high aspirations, despite your good intentions, but despite your noble declarations, despite my high aspirations, my, my uh, good intentions, my noble declarations, I present a problem. You present a problem. But here's the good news. That's not a problem. Because God, God answers our problems in Christ. And it's not by being more religious. It's by becoming more alive to this gift that his presence brings to us. So even in our suffering, we learn to suffer with hope. Even in our grief, we learn to grieve with hope. If some of you went to Garrett Bauman's memorial service yesterday, did you not walk out of that place feeling alive with hope? Uh, I was up in Pasadena yesterday doing a memorial service uh, for Bud Bear. Many of you know Bud, one of the founders of this church, an amazing man. Uh, and, and, the, and the joy, uh, you know, the grief, of course, of the loss, but the joy of being in the presence of people who, even in their grief, recognize the gift of life that God gives us. If you were at Garrett's, you walked out inspired. If you were at Bud's, you walked out inspired. This is how God answers the problem that all of us face. Spiritually, our problem is alienation from him, rendering us imperfect and flawed. Personally, our problem is great intentions that fall short of achieving this harmony, this shalom that we all crave. Socially, our problem is other people who are as alienated, imperfect, and flawed as we are. And so we spend all of our time either blaming each other or hiding from each other. And it's very tempting to expect others to make up for our need for harmony and well-being. A traveler was walking down a road. He sees a farmer in the field, an older farmer. As the traveler yells out at him, kind of disrespectfully, hey, what sort of people live in the next town? And the farmer caught off guard by the guy just crashing into his day, and he looks up, and he's, he's thinking, well, that's interesting. Pretty brusque. He said, well, what were the people like where you've come from? This guy says, oh, they're horrible. Couldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. Worst people I've ever met. In fact, I'm leaving because I'm going to a better place that I deserve. The farmer in his wisdom said, hmm, well, that's interesting. Um, I'm afraid that you'll probably find the same sort of people in the next town. And the guy's bummed out to hear that, but sort of selfly, I mean, smugly self-satisfied, though I thought so. And he walks off. Well, later that day, another traveler comes down the road. The farmer's there fixing something in his field. And the guy says, excuse me, sir. The farmer's like, oh, well, different traveler. Excuse me, sir, but I'm just wondering if you could tell me what are the people like in the next town? I'm on a long journey. I'm just trying to determine how far I'm going to walk each day to get there. Of course, the farmer says again, well, what were the people like where you've come from? Uh, and he said, well, they were the best people in the world. Hardworking, honest, kind, encouraging. Uh, they brought the best out of me. It was an incredible experience being with them. I'm really, really sorry to leave them. The farmer says this, well, fear not, you'll find the same people in the next town. We start taking responsibility for this gift of life that God is giving us. We start to see our deficiencies, our imperfections, our weaknesses, the threats and stresses differently. They are what they are. We don't live in denial. We don't, we don't minimize, sugarcoat, spiritualize. We say this is what it is. It's really hard. But this is who he is. 
and that's really good. And so that's the third big point of the morning. God is at work redeeming this alienated, flawed world, and you're included in that. Not just included as in part of the flawed world. You're included in part of his redemption of the world. Why? Because he's redeeming you so that you can be part of this redemptive work and in partnership with him in this world. That's powerful, isn't it? He's not making people better for you. He's making you better for people. Remember when, when God called out Abram, who later became Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you in order to be a blessing. All people on earth will be blessed through you. He didn't start off by saying, I'm going to make a, a whole new people, a new tribe, a new nation, new family to bless you. Of course, that's what it does. It blesses us. But he starts out by saying, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless other people. He came into the world to write a better story in us. And the better story is this. Our life is a gift that matters and counts. And we are responsible for fully participating in that life wherever we are in the face of whatever threats and stresses we face. And so as, received, as we receive him by faith, we embrace our life as a gift from God with which we bless other people. So this opens up a whole new world of relational possibilities within us and around us. A relationship with God and others that are inherently good and lead us to do good works. And these good works express God's good work in us and make us feel alive and hopeful. So here's kind of a weird thing. Hey, life is a gift from God, and it means you have work to do. What kind of gift is that? Well, it's like the best gift you've ever given. Uh, usually involves some, something you get to do with it, which constitutes the kind of work that you say, well, it's not work. It's a new baseball glove, and I love playing baseball. It's a new golf club. I love playing golf. A new tennis racket. It's a new fly fishing rod. I love fishing. Yeah, but it's going to put you in, 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 in motion to do something that would constitute work, a creative expression of who you are. That requires discipline and wisdom and ingenuity and, and, and staying power, sheer dogged endurance, creative problem solving. You get where this is going? This is the good work for which we have been created. This was the original good work we see in Genesis 1 and 2. You're going to be stewards of all creation. And then in our disobedience and rebellion against God, it, it gets very messy very quickly. But in his redemption of the world, he's saying, yes, you still have a good work to do. And I'm going to do a good work in you that's going to make that possible. These good works aren't so that you can prove that you're worthy of my love. I'm giving you my love. Uh, these good works are an expression of what you're receiving from me. And so the signs of this new life are revealed in the influence of God's Holy Spirit in our life. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These incredible fruit of his spirit that constitute the kinds of work we do. Work that somehow, because we do it, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We, we receive this by faith, and we learn to trust God in his plans and purposes for us. It's a whole new way of approaching your life. And so Paul writes to the people in Ephesus, he says, for it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then he flips it. He says, and because of that, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You cannot grow 
apart from these good works. Why? Because these good works are what are forming you and shaping you in the face of life's threats and stresses. These are not optional. Five time. Once I get my act together, maybe then, no. You'll never get your act together. So in the midst of you responding to his love, you start saying, okay, what are these works that God wants me to do? What has he put in my hand and my heart, in my field of vision, that I can somehow contribute to glorifying him and blessing people in his name, even while I'm dealing with all this other stuff in my life that could be very well overwhelming? You see, when I see life as a gift, I experience my life as a journey of generosity and compassion. What do I need and what can I give? What am I learning? What can I share out of what I'm learning? What am I discovering? How can I help other people perhaps facilitate them discovering likewise? Generosity and compassion. Can you imagine if everybody you know, everybody in your immediate network, immediate network of relationships woke up every day saying, how could I practice generosity and compassion today? What would my life look like? My gosh. Life would be immediately immensely better. If you did that, over time, you're going to wear everybody else around you out to finally they're going to go, fine, okay, what's this generosity and compassion thing you're all about? We're hungry for this. These constitute the good works we were created for, we're being saved for. See, he is our strength, our shield, our rock. He empowers us, protects us, and provides for us for the purpose of experiencing his workmanship and then being workers, so to speak, in the good work that he's doing. Our good works are not for our salvation. They flow from our salvation. Are you following this? Because if you get this, you're going to be a disruptive presence in the best sense of the word everywhere you go. You're going to be a radical in the name of Christ, doing your normally conventional stuff. You're going to be polite, socially appropriate, considerate, and gracious to people, but you will be a game changer wherever you go. And sometimes you get to use words, but more often than not, you just have to be present. And as you start living your life like this, because you're so convinced that life is a gift from God and that you're a unique, unrepeatable miracle of his, of his workmanship, people are eventually going to notice and go, what's with you? What do you mean, what's with me? I don't know. You're you, but you're you in a better way than ever before. And so instead of saying to them, well, I'm kind of offended you'd even say that, as if I wasn't great before, but you'd say, you know what, it's interesting you notice that because I'm sort of amazed by it too. God is somehow forming this in me, calling this out of me. This is a get to, not a have to. I'm just really liking it. And then they would say this, and, this, and, and despite all the threats and stresses I know you're dealing with, I go, yeah, that's the, part, that's the part that blows my mind too. I should be having a big ongoing perpetual pity party. Instead, I feel like, wow, God's doing something here. I better pay attention. And so by grace, through faith, we're now joining with him, doing good works that change us. Yes, they bless other people. Yes, they glorify God, but they change us. And if we don't participate in these good works under the tutelage of God himself, guided by his word, learning to be responsive to his Holy Spirit, encouraged and, and held accountable by his people, we're going to miss the very core of our life. We will exist through life. We won't really live through it. And so that's why your life is a gift from God. You have a new life mission and a new life message. Your life mission is this. I want to be alive to Christ and alive to people in his name. That's your new mission. 
and what can I possibly use that he's given me, that I've acquired in life, that comes out of my personality, that resonates with what I'm passionate about, to be part of that mission. And then, of course, the subsequent message that comes out of that mission is, you know, I'm just learning how to, how to appreciate the gift that life is and to share it with others in Jesus' name. Can you imagine the cynicism that exists in our country about the church? In every Catholic and Protestant church, the cynicism that is pointed at every Catholic and Protestant church, every, every denominational church or non-denominational church, every rural church or every urban church, all the disdain that is heaped on churches for being irrelevant. Has the church embraced this as their core identity, which it is? Can you imagine the, the, the society, the culture around that church, wherever it is, would say, man, this is not what I thought it was. You're kind of goofing up my assumptions about you. You're kind of disrupting my stereotypes about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But yeah, he's, he's disrupting all that for me too. You're just seeing it. So does your lifestyle support your life mission and your life message, or does it get in the way of it? Think about this. Again, great to have high aspirations and goals and plans and, and all the stuff you're doing. But as you, as you pursue those things, ask the question, is this aligned with, supportive of, linked to my life mission and my life message? Or is this at counter purposes with it? Because to live that conflicted life throws you back into that spin cycle of living under the immense pressure of threats and stress. This is what pulls us out of that and puts us in a place called hope. Not optimism, gee, I hope things get better and stay better, but hope. I know to whom I belong. I know who is with me in and through the threats and stresses of life. It's basically God's word written in your life and read by everybody you encounter. God is writing his word in your life in very practical, simple ways. It's not about image management. I'm going to just look better. I'm going to fake people out to think I'm better. No, I'm just going to lean in and learn from him. And as he writes his word through his spirit and the encouragement of wise people in my life, people are going to read a new me. Remember, Jesus came into the world to write a better story in each one of us. And good works are how you enjoy giving others what God has given you. So by God's grace in you, live your life as a gift and give your life as a gift. If you do, you'll thrive and grow and bless people this year like never before. Or maybe it's like what you've done before, only the newest iteration of it. Do you think the world needs more of that? Do you think your family needs more of that? Do you think your marriage needs more of that? Do you think your friends need more of that? Do you think this church needs more of that? For sure we do. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd show us how to have more of that how to desire more of that, how to open our lives to more of that, how to rearrange our priorities for more of that, how to align everything you've entrusted to us with that. And for this, we give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's continue worshiping the Lord as the offering of the morning is now received.
So name those threats. Name those fears. Name those stresses and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Invite Jesus to take those threats and stresses and fears. Trust him. Either he will show you how to handle them and move through them, or he will deal with them in his own way, in his own time. If we can pray for you before you leave about anything that's concerning you or others that, that you care about, go right out that door and around to the prayer garden, and there'll be people who will be ready to have a prayer with you. And they'll, uh, If you want to tell them what you want prayer for, great. If not, just say, pray for me, and they will pray for you. If there's anything we can do to help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ, maybe you're sorting this out. You have all kinds of questions and doubts. I don't know about Jesus. We'd love to have that conversation with you. If you uh, are looking for a way to get connected to community, uh, this is a good season to be here. We're in a relaunch mode as a church. And so we want to help you get connected into, into this community, whether it's in a life group um, or any other way that would help you uh, take that next step to grow in your faith and to serve Christ. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a wonderful day.